Exciting things ahead and exciting things for today as we close out our series in the book of Ruth. Where you go, I will go. And if you're new with us, maybe you're thinking, man, this is the first Sunday I come. As you close out a series, I'm going to be lost. No, you're not. All right, I'm going to catch you up. Go back and watch the sermons on YouTube. Listen to them on the website. But I'm going to catch you up just briefly. Uh, As we look at the story of Ruth and the book of Ruth, you see primarily three characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Uh, You see Naomi, this lady who has uh, endured unimaginable loss. She has lost her husband and her two sons. And in that culture, what we've talked about is that was a woman's value. And she's lost all of that value. She's lost her security and her future. And that's Naomi, unimaginable loss. But then we see Ruth, her daughter-in-law, we see unwavering loyalty, right? We see this great speech that the series is named after. Ruth tells Naomi, against all odds, Naomi has nothing to offer Ruth, but Ruth tells Naomi, hey, where you go, I will go. Your God's gonna be my God. Your people are gonna be my people. I'm gonna die where you die. And we see this incredible unwavering loyalty in the midst of unimaginable loss. We see it primarily through this person of Ruth. And then we see Boaz, this wealthy farmer, but not just a wealthy farmer. We see he's a kinsman redeemer. He's a, a kin of Naomi and Elimelech, her deceased husband. And he's a redeemer. He is charged with buying back everything that Naomi has lost. So Ruth goes out and she's sticking with Naomi, but she's also going out and fighting for Naomi to find food, but also favor with uh, Boaz, this kinsman redeemer. And she goes out to a field, a place she wasn't supposed to be with Israelites. She's a Moabite. She's of enemy territory. She's a, a poor widow. She goes out, though, and gleans in the fields. She sits at the table of the Israelites And Boaz, this wealthy farmer, doesn't use his influence and wealth for his good. He uses it for the good of Ruth. And he starts to step in and just show simple but supernatural kindness to Ruth and therefore to Naomi. And he starts to redeem this entire situation that's been marred by loss. And then we see last week, we saw this seemingly scandalous scene, this awkward proposal where Ruth goes into the threshing floor. Boaz has been separating the grain. He's asleep, and she lifts up the cover of his feet, gets a little dicey, and we see Naomi tell her to do this, and maybe she had some good intentions, but that was a bad decision. But nevertheless, God uses that, and that's Ruth's proposal to Boaz, And here's where you know the Bible is true and real. The story would have been great if it ended there with a wedding. But it doesn't end with a wedding. It ends with waiting. Boaz says in this romantic proposal moment, this crucial moment of the scene, this dramatic, the notebook moment of the scene, instead of saying, yes, I will marry you, he says, hey, I got to check with somebody else first. (laughs) Boaz, great guy, not super romantic, right? He says, hey, I got to check. There's another kinsman redeemer. Oh, he's a closer relative, and as a man of honor, I'm going to check with him first. And that's where we pick up the story. So if you're new, you're caught up, right? If you forgot some of the sermons, I know none of you have. 
you're caught up now. So let's head to Ruth chapter 4. Meet me there. Grab a Bible and head to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth is the eighth book of your Bible. If you're at home, pull that Bible out. Go grab it across the room. Ruth chapter 4. Our title for our sermon is Redeeming Love. Redeeming Love. I'm going to read it. We're going to break it up a little bit as we read it, break it down, and then see three threads of redemption in this story that apply to our lives. But first, before we read it, let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, as we read your word, we invite your Holy Spirit into this place, into our hearts and minds. God, we walk in here with so many things that could distract us. And so right now, I pray by the the power of your spirit that you would open up our eyes, that you would open up our ears that you would sharpen our minds, that you would soften our hearts to all that you want to speak to us, but more so all that you want us to do in light of what you do speak to us. God, we pray that by the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen, amen. Ruth 4 verse 1, let's read it together and then we'll talk about it. Says this, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. As you picture the scene, just briefly, we've talked a lot about in this whole series, in this whole book, the significance of places, right? The threshing floor. Now we have another significant place, the gate. This is the city gate. And when you think of city gate, you need to be picturing a town square. This is where everyday people, but also merchants and and judges gathered, and this is where they would do official business. And what I love about Boaz, remember the scene from last week? The scene on the threshing floor, the uncovering, and all of those things, the proposal, and Boaz gets straight to work. He goes to the the town square, the city gate. He, He gathers a quorum of the town elders. He finds the kinsman redeemer. He says, you sit down right here. Let's get this thing settled. And then we see in verse three, he says to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, the other guy says, I will redeem it. So the other guy Here's the story, and he says, okay, there's land involved. Land is really precious in Israel. It's a sign of prominence in Israel. And he says, okay, I can buy this land. It's a good opportunity to legally and easily acquire some more land. And so he says, I'm in. But there's a snack, verse 5. Then Boaz says, well, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his, inher- in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, Oh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He walks it back, right? The idea of buying land was enticing, but the idea of marrying Ruth, this poor widow from an enemy territory, Former demonic worshiper, that, that's the Moabites, that's Ruth. The idea of, oh, it's a package deal, it's land and Ruth, I'm out. 
And he says, you notice that he says, verse 6, this would impair or jeopardize my inheritance. You see, not just for reputation, maybe he thought Ruth is an outcast, I, I don't want to go there, but, but also just practically it would, it would impair or jeopardize his inheritance. That Ruth and marrying Ruth, he has to buy this land. It's going to cost him something. Redemption is buying back. It costs you something. He has to pay something, but not just pay for the land. Now he has to marry Ruth, who's still young enough. She's going to have kids. And one day he's going to have to divide up this land, not only with his kids, but now with Ruth's kids. And he says, wait, that's too much cost. And so he walks it back and he steps out. Verse 7. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So that when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. I love this. He kicks off his sandal. He says, I'm in. Verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, he wants to make this official, you are witnesses this day that I have bought the land, or I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Now, remember last week, some of you were here last week, we talked about the, my son listening to this record player and, and asking uh, my father-in-law about the record player, how do I tell it to change the song? Remember that? And if you don't, you can just picture, I mean, just picture a little eight-year-old kid hearing a record player, never heard one before, and asking, how do I tell it to change the song, right? And my father-in-law explaining music played in a different way than he was used to. And there was lots of things that even after my father-in-law explained this to my son, that my son walked away confused by, but one thing he understood was music. The music translated, right? So you need to see that with this moment again. You see, because we kind of see like acquiring and there's a woman involved. And some of you are like, this is why I don't like church. This is why I don't uh, follow Jesus. This, is, this just seems weird and medieval and chauvinistic. And, and this was a different culture that doesn't translate to our culture. The form doesn't translate, but the function does. So you need to see past the cultural moment. You need to see past the mechanism and see the marriage that's happening here. Do you see it? This is beautiful, even just with a little cultural thing that, that Boaz, he kicks off his sandal. We're like, that's kind of weird. Your feet probably stink, right? But that was this moment. That was this moment of commitment. This was this moment while the other guy said, no, this is too costly. This poor widow, this person from an enemy territory, this demonic worshiper, I'm not going to be seen with her. This person, I'm going to have to divide up my land. I'm going to have to pay for this land financially, and then I'm going to have to divide it up amongst her sons one day. Like, I'm not doing that. This other person saw the cost of redemption, and it was too costly. But Boaz, he says, I want all the cost. Give me it all. Give me Ruth. Give me the land. I will pay the cost. It's meant to point us to Jesus Christ. That Boaz sees all that's at stake. He sees all that's costing him in that moment. 
And he pays the price anyway. That Jesus Christ, he sees all that's entailed in your life. He sees all your sin, past, present, and future. I know, it's scary to think, but he sees it. What you did last night, sins of commission, sins of omission, the sins you have forgotten, Jesus remembers. He sees them, and he knows how much it would cost to pay for them. It would cost his very life. And he examines that, and he assesses the situation, and he says, I will give it. Don't miss the music for the record player that doesn't quite make sense. This is what's happening here. This is what Boaz is doing here. So the land is now secured. The family name, it will go on. And the wedding is happening. It's an exciting day. That's why people start cheering. It says in verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And we see the the crowd is rejoicing. And it may be a little confusing. There's two Old Testament references there. There's Tamar, and then we have Rachel and Leah. But this was an incredible act of rejoicing by the crowd. This was an incredible act of of blessing, that they're looking at at Ruth and Boaz, this this new marriage that's going to take place. And they speak these prophetic words of blessing, and they connect it back to their history. They connect it back to their legacy, that what they're saying is, hey, this is not just a moment that's about you. This is a moment that's about legacy and the people that would come after you. Like Rachel and Leah, two women that we see in Genesis chapter 29 and 30 who birthed most of the sons that would come in the tribes of Judah. And what they're saying is, hey, this is an amazing moment. May you be fruitful like Rachel and Leah. May what happens here go beyond here and bless further generations. May this be a moment of redemptive legacy in our nation and for our people. He mentions, they mentioned Tamar. Speak that blessing over her and Ruth. And and Tamar was a a widow like Ruth who God uses in in significant ways, in incredible ways to change trajectory of people's lives. And in this moment, the crowd is is seeing what's happening here. And they're seeing what could happen in the future. And they're, they're speaking that over this couple because of the significance of their relationship. It's a blessing of legacy. And then we see in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she becomes his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his Nurse, now don't miss this. We fast forwarded a few days. The wedding has actually taken place. Boaz and Ruth are now married. Then we fast forward nine months, a year, and we see Ruth has had a child. Here's what's amazing about that. At the beginning, Ruth had a husband. 
and we see there was about 10 years that took place where Ruth had a husband, then she lost her husband, but she has no son. What we are led to believe is potentially Ruth is barren. And here in this moment, she gets married. A few months later, she has a kid. God has blessed Ruth, he's beginning to bring about this legacy, the legacy of Rachel and and Leah, that that they would be fruitful, and it happens right away. Then in the midst of barrenness, God brings fruitfulness. And we see that just in this moment with Ruth. We see the result of this marriage brings about blessing for Naomi as well. The other women say to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Hey, you're redeemed too. This is not just about Ruth. Naomi, you're redeemed too. You're going to get to be a grandmother again, or for the first time. You're going to get to be a grandmother, and, and you don't have sons because that was her worth in that day, sons that could carry on the lineage. You don't have sons, but you have a daughter-in-law, and that is way more blessed to you. And this is so neat. If you remember earlier in the book, when Ruth and Naomi show back up to Bethlehem, there's other women, there's other people talking and saying, wait, there's, there's Naomi. And they kind of feel sorry for her. And they call out to her, Naomi. And she says, no, no, she feels sorry for herself. No, 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 don't call me Naomi. That means pleasant or sweet. You call me bitter. You call me Mara. And potentially some of these same people, some of these same women are now saying, hey, Naomi, you're not bitter anymore. <laughs> you're blessed. And I love, any grandparents in the room? Any grandparents watching at home? I just love, she, she just takes the child and lays him on her lap. I mean, you just see the swing of the pendulum for Naomi, where she starts in this story, unimaginable loss. No value, no security, no future. And the story ends holding a little baby. Her future's bright. And she's blessed, and even the people around her are recognizing that you have gone from bitter to blessed. It's an amazing story. Verse 17, we continue. It says, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. We get some background to the lineage. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Some of you are thinking, how does he know how to pronounce those names? I don't. You just go confident and quickly. Okay, that's what you do. Just a little free tip for you on that. But Hey, this is a little mini genealogy. Do you see it? And what we see is sometimes when we read the Bible, we skip over these. Right? And some of you who read the Bible in a year, you skip these large chapters or chunks of genealogies, and you just think, well, that's an easy way just to fast forward a little bit through the Bible. Right? Be honest. It's okay. We're in church. But this mini genealogy, don't, don't miss it. We see a similar one at the beginning of our New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. And we see some of these same names mentioned. You see, what was happening here is we're seeing the trajectory of where this is going. We're seeing the redemptive arc of where this is going. It's beyond this family. Right? They give birth to a little boy named Obed. It means servant of God. 
And this servant of God is going to be the father of Jesse. And Jesse becomes the father of King David. That Ruth, poor widow, sitting at the other table, outcast, demonic worshiper, Ruth, is the great-grandmother of King David who's in the line of Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew 1 gives us this genealogy of which Ruth is mentioned. And you see this redemptive story start to take shape. You see this redemptive story is not just about one family, but it's about all the families of the earth being changed. That's this genealogy. So don't skip them, okay? Don't skip the genealogies. So that's the story of Ruth. What do we do with it? I want to give you three things, three threads of redemption, specifically that we learn from each character. So if you want to take notes, you can write these down. They'll be on the screen. The first one is what we learn about the redemption of Boaz. Here's what we learn. We learn that we live with conviction, knowing that success isn't measured simply pragmatically, but redemptively. When you really look at this story, you have Ruth, poor widow, enemy territory, a lineage of demonic worship, a lineage of incest, tracing back to the person of Lot. His daughters have sex with him. Out from that comes Moab. And through that lineage comes Ruth. That's Ruth. You look at this story and you see a guy like Boaz, who's a wealthy farmer, who probably could have had his choice of women, and yet he chooses this woman. And we see, hey, we should live by conviction, not just simply thinking pragmatically, but redemptively. You see, pragmatically, Boaz is a wealthy farmer. He could use his influence and his wealth for his own good. But he uses it for the good, not just of others, but for Ruth specifically. For someone who was poor, widow, had no value in that culture. And he says, hey, I have wealth. I have influence. I'm going to use it to show this girl simple but supernatural kindness. Because I'm not just going to see pragmatically. I'm going to see redemptively. I love that today's Palm Sunday. You know, Palm Sunday is the day where people had palm branches and palm leaves, and they waved them, and they yelled out, Hosanna, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, and they praised Jesus, and they said, Hosanna, which means save us, you're the Savior, and they, they praised Jesus, and yet a few days later, they would yell, crucify to Jesus. And you see that, like, pragmatically on Palm Sunday, it worked to worship Jesus, I mean, this is the coming king. Maybe this is legit. Maybe he's really going to overtake Rome. Maybe as a people, we can finally be free. And pragmatically, it made all the sense in the world to worship and follow Jesus. And then yet a few days later, Good Friday comes. And Jesus isn't being ridden on a donkey into Jerusalem. He's hanging on a bloody cross. And all of a sudden, those same people, pragmatically, it makes sense to worship and follow Jesus. All of a sudden, those same people think... That doesn't work anymore. Maybe he's not going to be king. Maybe he's not going to set us free. And, and they didn't realize he's setting them free, not from political reign, but from spiritual shame and death. And in that moment, it made way more sense to worship Jesus while he's hanging on a cross. 
Redemptively, it did. Pragmatically, it didn't. That this would pave the way not just to die on the cross, but to rise again, defeating sin, Satan, death, and the grave. See, the question we should be asking as we end the story of Ruth, as we look at the life of Boaz, is how do we make decisions? How do we live with a conviction more than pragmatically as we see success, but redemptively? How do we take the wealth that God has given us, the influence God has given us, and how do we take it not to further ourselves, but to bless other people, specifically the least of these, specifically the ward, widow and the orphan, specifically as we come to an Easter Sunday, and we don't just wear nice clothes, and we don't just put on cute hats, and we don't just have the ham in the oven and do a cute Easter egg hunt with all of our friends and family, but no, we say, hey, we have an opportunity here to use our influence and our wealth to bless the least of these foster kids and foster families and and people in our city who desperately need that God's help. Pragmatically, that doesn't make sense. Tim, I got places to be on Easter. Pragmatically, that doesn't make sense. I'm getting my stimulus check. We're rebuilding the backyard. We got some projects going on. I'm paying off my car. Pragmatically, that doesn't make sense. But redemptively, Redemptively, it makes more sense, amen, to live that way. So, so how are you living with conviction? How are you seeing success? Not just pragmatically, but redemptively. That's, if you have been redeemed, you are called to live redemptively, not just pragmatically. If you're a husband and a father of your family, you are called to lead your family, not just pragmatically, redemptively. Not just, how are my kids? How can I put them in club sports, in private training sessions, so they get the scholarship one day? Not just pragmatically. How can we get in a good school and have a good family and do all the right things and go to a good church so they end up marrying a good person? Not just pragmatically. Redemptively, it's how do I teach my kid the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do I, when they fail and when I fail, show them Jesus succeeded on your behalf? That's the way you're called to lead your family, men. Not just pragmatically, not just career, not just financially. Redemptively, eternally, that's what will last when everything else fades. I didn't plan to say that, but... That's true, amen? For men, amen? Amen? Okay. So we learn that as we see redeeming Boaz, redeeming Naomi, we learn this, that we live with hope knowing nothing is beyond God's help and healing. I just, I love the story of Naomi because I think it's so relevant to our times. Naomi felt like she had lost everything. Not just food, but favor with God. Not just family, but favor with God. And I think we live in a season, and hopefully we're coming out of a season, where many people have experienced loss. And not just loss economically, not even just loss physically or relationally, financially, but they feel like they've lost favor with God. Man, do, you, do you know people like this? I know so many people who follow Jesus, were involved in their local church, pre-pandemic, and soon to be, hopefully, post-pandemic, giving up their faith, 
nowhere to be seen. Where is so-and-so? Are they watching online at least? I don't, I don't know. Or you know directly from them. I mean, that God thing, I mean, it's not working out for me anymore. Right? How sad that is. How we mourn that. And I love that we see the story of Naomi because she could have gone that route. Right? Experienced on a... I mean, just imagine, Naomi would go to a gravesite with her husband and her two sons. Unimaginable loss. Seemingly hopeless. And yet at the end of this, she's a grandma holding her little baby. These other women who heard her call herself bitter are now saying, Naomi, goodness, girl, you are blessed. Out of your mind, you're blessed. You don't have sons, but you got this great daughter-in-law, and she has loved you. This is incredible. And Naomi's still following God, and she's experienced. It took time. She's experienced healing. It took time to experience healing. It may take time for you to experience healing and hope, but God will bring it about. Even in the greatest loss, he's doing some of his greatest work. And some of you who have experienced loss and maybe thought about losing your faith, you need to see Naomi's testimony, her redemption, when everything seems lost. And at a loss, there's still hope and there's still healing. And it may take time. But God will work that for your good and his glory. So what are you thinking about giving up right now. Maybe for some of you, it's your own loss. Maybe for some of you, it's your own struggle. But maybe for some of you, it's the struggle of your marriage. You just think it's too far gone. Maybe for some of you, it's the struggle Maybe for some of you, it's the struggle of a friend who's experienced difficulty. Like I have, like some of you probably have, and I'm thinking of him right now. And, and you're here to be reminded, and I'm here apparently, <laughs> to be reminded of the story of Naomi that when hope seems lost, it's not. There's still healing. There's still hope. Amen? That friend, that marriage, Hope's not lost. You're not too far gone. He's not too far gone. She's not a lost cause. And some of you, we have friends like that, amen? Am I the only one? We have friends like that in this season, and things are just different, and we feel like, is, is there hope? Is there healing? Naomi's here to show you, I lost my husband, my two sons, God's favor, and she's holding a grand, but there's a root chapter one, but there's also a root chapter four, Amen? That's in your life too. That's in your friend's life. That's in your marriage. That's what God is doing. That's what we learn from the story. The last thing is redeeming Ruth. We learn that we live by faith, knowing there's always more to the story. All right. What I love about Ruth is, remember we said at the beginning, Ruth doesn't see C's part. She doesn't see a, a burning bush, but she just steps out in faith anyway. She takes risk after risk after risk. 
and courage and faith before God. We see extraordinary miracles through ordinary means. And there's a lot she can't see. And even the things she can see, she knew she was taking a risk. She knew she was stepping out in faith for Naomi and for this immediate family to change the trajectory of their lives. But there were some, some things she couldn't see as she took these steps of faith. She couldn't see that their son would end up being the father of Jesse, and Jesse would be the father of David, and through David's lineage would come Jesus Christ, the Savior and healer of the world. There's always more than you can see. That's what redemption teaches us. There's always more than your family and your story. As you step out in faith, as we look at Ruth's actions and her, her, her words, her amazing speech and her amazing risk and going to places and, listen, breaking down some cultural norms, she proposed to Boaz. Come on, people. That's weird in this day. That was definitely weird in that day. And Ruth says, I'm going to step out in faith. And there were some things she could see, but there was so much she couldn't see that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, would come through this lineage. And these little steps of faith, gleaning in a field, going to a threshing floor, an awkward proposal that God would use these little steps for big impact. And God does the same for you. What, what little step is God calling you to take? And you just say, well, Tim, there's not much at stake here. It's just this family. It's just this person. It's just this thing. And you know, Redemption tells us there's more than you can see. Take that step of faith. Okay. I love the story of Ruth. I'm sad to see it go. But, but I love the idea, and I love that this leads us into Easter because Easter is all about redemption. Okay. In fact, I had more to share with you, but it would have cut into my Easter message. Come on. I mean, there's just so much here that we could talk about, but that's for next weekend, so come back. But just know from this story, be reminded that God is redeeming you, but he's not just redeeming you. He's redeeming other people through you. Yeah. That's what Ruth teaches us. We step out in faith to see that happen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the story of Ruth, the redemption of Ruth. God, I thank you that it shows us the redemption that you want to do in us, but also through us. God, help us to take according steps of faith so we can receive, see that redemption. We can receive, receive that redemption. And God, we can enact that redemption as you use us to help see the redemption of others. God, we might know from this story that even in the darkest moments and the darkest season and most hopeless moments and seemingly loss of favor, that, God, we can be reminded and assured that, God, you never leave our side. That even what seems like silence, you are there, you're near, and you're working redemption in and through our lives. And, God, we praise you for that today. We celebrate that today, and we proclaim that today with boldness, knowing it is true from your word. And everybody said, amen.